0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. I'm not reading the whole thing. It's going to be okay. I promise. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8, 81 through 96, and 169 to 176. I will announce when we're switching passages. All right, so Psalm 119, starting at verse 1. having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask When will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Then the last section here, verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth Praise For you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments." This is God's Word. May He bless it to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this uh, longest psalm, that in it You teach us the joys and the hardships of the Christian life, that You show us Your law, that You show us Your grace and Your love for us, that You indeed show us the Gospel. And so we pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word this morning, that you would refresh us with the grace of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple years ago, my dad and I drove uh, from California back here to Ohio after I graduated from seminary. Now, if you're trying to get here, as fast as you possibly can, I do not recommend driving from California to Ohio. It takes a minimum of over 30 hours, and we did it in like the span of almost a week. So, not the most efficient route, right? But in driving, I got to experience things that I would have never seen from a plane. We drove through 11 different states. We went to six different national parks and monuments. It was an amazing journey. If you took a flight, you wouldn't get to realize that half of the state of Utah is either a state or a national park. It's pretty amazing. I had no idea. It's a great place if you're an introverted person like myself. You still get to the same destination if you fly but you miss out on the journey. And in many ways, this is exactly what Psalm 119 is. It's a journey. It doesn't take us in the most efficient route to teach us what God has in mind, but it shows us by its breadth the journey of the Christian life. As one commentator says, If the goal of the author was to create the spiritual experience he seeks, then those who wish the psalm were shorter have missed the point of it. Its idea can be communicated in a verse or two. But merely knowing the theology is not equivalent to being in the state of mind that comes from reading it in a deliberate and reflective fashion. There are liturgies that are best short, and others like Psalm 119, that work only if they are long. See, Psalm 119 is deliberately long because it reflects the journey of life. And interestingly, just two psalms earlier, we have the shortest psalm in the Psalter. So you have the message condensed to just one to two verses, and then you have 176 verses that show us the fullness, the breadth, the depth of the Christian life. You see, you can know in your heart that you should love God, love his law and seek to follow him with all your heart. You can know that from one sentence. But what you need to actually get through the storms of life is a persistent faith that does not fade, that lasts through everything the kind of faith that prays when things are going well for you but also the kind of faith that still prays when loving God could be the last thing on your mind you see if you pray Psalm 119 from start to finish you pray through the good and the bad you pray when it's easy to love God and you pray when it seems that God is out to get you. So in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of a world where we're surrounded by evil, we have this psalm as a refuge, a retreat to recalibrate us in our walk with God. This psalm does that by teaching us about three things. Our purpose, our enemies, and our God. Our purpose, our enemies, and our God. So let's start with the first, our purpose. Look with me at verse 1, Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. See, the first thing that Psalm 119 teaches us about our purpose is that we were created for blessing. And we get that blessing by walking in the law of the Lord. I love this image that the psalmist gives us of walking with God. In His Word, God gives us a path. He lays out how we are to live, how we were created to glorify and enjoy Him. Our task is to keep our eyes focused on this path. Joshua tells Israel, Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. If you get to know me, you will quickly realize that I do not have a good sense of direction. I may try to mask this from you. But indeed, I have no idea where I'm going. I need to put in new places into GPS at least 10 times before I actually know where I'm going. I usually just use the the Maps app on my phone. And one of the scary things about the Maps app is sometimes when you're way out in the middle of nowhere and you have no service, the, the app can start to lose its sense of direction, of telling you where to go. It's fine if you stay straight on the path and you follow the road that you're currently on, but as soon as you make a detour or there's construction or you turn either to your right or to the left, it's done helping you. It's useless. And As Joshua says, I do not have good success when it's just me and the road with no gps so the psalmist concludes that we must walk in the law of the lord that we can't lose sight of it that we can't get distracted and take detours and turn either to the right or to the left in verse 2 we seek the lord with our whole heart The word here has the sense of investigating or inquiring. Are you actively searching God's word for his message to you? Do you expect to hear from him when you read his word? Are you investigating scripture to see what God requires of you? What does his law demand? Is there a sense of urgency? Is God more important to you than anything else? Is he at the center of your heart? At the end of last year, I came across a story of a family in China whose son was kidnapped at four years old. The case quickly went cold. There were no leads at all. But that didn't stop the father's pursuit of his son. For 14 years, he exhausted every single option. He sold off property and possession so that he could offer a reward for any information concerning his son. He checked out every single lead that he was offered. And finally, after 14 years, the police found his son. He drove over 1,000 miles to meet him. This man sought his son with his whole heart, and he absolutely refused to stop until he found him. We may do this with people that are close to us. Do we do it with God? Do we seek God with the same reckless abandon? Do you love God so wholeheartedly that you'd rather have Him than anything else in the world? You see, this is what Psalm 119 tells us that we were created for. We were made to love God's Word, to meditate on it day and night, to store it up in our hearts we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But the problem is that none of us actually do that. None of us seek God with our whole hearts. None of us perfectly keep His law. And the psalmist knows this. Look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander away from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the psalmist knows that he is inclined towards sin. He's he's trying to keep himself away from sinning because he knows that's the natural direction of his heart. Otherwise he wouldn't need to try to keep his word pure. He would just do it naturally. And he makes this more clear later in the psalm in verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. This is the same guy who's constantly meditating on how much he loves God's word. Over and over, he praises God and begs him to teach him according to his word. And yet he still goes astray. You see, we were created for blessing to perfectly keep God's word and yet none of us can do it. It is impossible to put more effort into keeping God's word than the psalmist does and yet he still strays away from God. Some of us here today may come to church thinking that it's possible to do enough to earn God's blessing. If I just pray enough, God will give me what I want. If I read the Bible more, then God will listen to me. And what I want you to know is that on your own, nothing you do will ever be good enough. Nothing you ever do will be enough to keep you away from sin. Your efforts will never be enough. And the psalmist shows us why that's the case by teaching us about our enemies. The psalmist recognizes that we live in a world surrounded by evil and injustice. His enemies are a constant presence in this psalm. Starting in verse 21, he writes, You rebuke the insolent, or arrogant, accursed ones, who wander from your commandments. And he continues in verse 23 that these arrogant ones are the princes who plot against him. These enemies mock him in verse 51. In verse 61, the cords of the wicked ensnare him. And it all comes to a head in verses 82 through 86, which is the center of the psalm. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. He's at the end of his rope here. He compares himself to a wineskin in the smoke because he feels dried out. He's got nothing left. His strength is gone. His willpower is gone. And yet his enemies are still surrounding him. And notice, he consistently compares his love for God's law with his enemies, utter disregard for it. They're marked by lies rather than truth. They're marked by arrogance rather than humility. They twist their own rules so that they can persecute the psalmist all the more. In your life, there is constant pressure to crack. We're surrounded every day by a culture that arrogantly disregards God and His Word. You may have an employer who is out to get you. You may have had rumors spread about you. You may be bullied, harassed, and humiliated, just like the psalmist is here. You see, people haven't changed much in the last 3,000 years. And you know what it's like to go through all of this and feel like God isn't there. He's just not doing anything to help you. So the question is why? Why does God allow enemies in our lives? Why does God allow evil things to happen to us? Look with me at verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The psalmist here teaches us something that has stood true across the ages. When things are going well, we forget about God. Remember the psalmist says in verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Right? He wasn't afflicted. There was a time in his life where it was going good. And because of that, he went astray. But when he was afflicted, How does he finish that verse? Now I keep your word. Now I keep your word. You see, God uses affliction. He uses suffering to wake us up, to bring us back to Him. And if you look at this psalm as a whole, you see this play out on a grand scale. From verses 1 through 88, there's a struggle. The psalmist admits that he's being led astray. He falls away in verse 67. In verse 61, he's ensnared by his enemies. He's trapped and led the wrong way. But then we reach the climax of the psalm in verses 92 through 93. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. You see, something has happened to the psalmist. Something has fundamentally changed in his heart. Before his affliction, the psalmist loved God's Word on a certain level. He knew in his head that God's Word was the way to life and blessing. But now he's actually experienced it. He went astray. He left God in the dust. He was surrounded by his enemies. He was almost dead. But in that moment, with everything on the line, he trusted God to save him. If your law had not been my delight, he says, I would have perished in my affliction. It's easy to believe in God. It's easy to say, I believe God. But it's a whole other thing to trust God, to rely on him to save you. Here's the battle that has happened in the psalmist's heart. He starts with wanting to use God's Word to get what he wants out of life. He then realizes that God gave us His Word because it is life itself. It's the way to eternal life. Our situation is nothing to scoff at. Our sin is not to be taken lightly. And the psalmist comes to realize that God is His Savior from this sin, not just a vending machine so that he can get what he wants out of life. The rest of this psalm reflects this deep trust, this saving faith that the psalmist has. He's afflicted again and again. The afflictions don't stop, but he never again goes astray. He's never pleading for God to rescue him again because he knows that God will do it. God's already done it. In fact, I think the ESV is missing the point a little bit in verse 176. This is how the psalm ends. The last thing we hear from the psalmist. The ESV says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. I think it's better rendered as simply, I went astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. See, the psalmist did go astray. He did wander away. But now he has the faith that can withstand what the enemies throw at him because God continuously seeks him. And that brings us to our last point for this morning. The psalmist teaches us about our God. We just saw how the psalmist's faith changes during this psalm. At the beginning of this psalm, he has this knowledge. He loves God. He knows that God blesses those who keep his law. But then, once he goes astray and he's afflicted, then his knowledge becomes a sturdy faith, a steady trust. He's at the end of his rope, he's facing literal death, and he relies on God to save him. So, how did he make that journey? How did he get there? Because, because God has been there the entire time, guiding him, teaching him. At the beginning of this psalm, in verse 12, he says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And that's exactly what God does. Look at the marked change that occurs in the psalmist's heart. In verse 22, he says, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Compare that With verse 141. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. On the one hand, before this change in his life, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. On the other, after he's trusted God, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. You see what's going on. You see, I, I believe absolutely that we should take our prayer request to God. I believe that we should ask God to help us when bad things happen to us. But in verse 22, why does the psalmist think God should help him? It says right there, because he kept God's law. That's why God should help him. And even though we find out in verse 67, he didn't keep God's law. He freely admits he went astray. See, at the beginning of this psalm, the psalmist has a kind of prosperity gospel faith. I do good things, so God will give me good things. But at the end of this psalm, in verse 141, he's still treated with scorn and contempt. He's still small and despised, and yet he does not forget God's word. He says, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. What a statement. Can you say that? Can I say that? Trouble and anguish have found me out. Even then, your commandments are my delight. This is exactly what a lifetime with God as your teacher does to your faith. As Proverbs teaches us, God disciplines those whom He loves. Without God's loving discipline in our lives, we're left with an immature faith. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus gives this parable where a sower, someone who spreads seed, goes out to a field, and while he's sowing the seed, he spreads it across four different places. And what Jesus says is that the seed is the free offer of the gospel. It goes to everyone. How will people receive it? There is seed... That falls along the path that birds immediately devour. These people don't believe God's word for an instant in their lives. Then there is seed that falls on rocky ground. But those plants were scorched by the sun since they had no root. As soon as there was some affliction in their lives, their faith evaporated. Other seed fell among thorns, which choked those plants out. And finally, some seed falls on good soil and grows. What Psalm 119 shows us is that the sun will beat down on us. Thorns will come to choke us out. But if we have faith, God, our teacher, will protect us. He'll shade us from the sun and send rain. He'll weed the thorns so that we can grow. I wish I could tell you that in this life, if you're a Christian, things will always go well for you. But that's not true. Instead, what I need to ask you is, can you say what the psalmist says in verse 141? Can you be small and despised and yet still trust God? Can you be marked by trouble and anguish in this life, but still delight in God and his word? That's the mature faith that a life with God as your teacher gives you. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is not simply that with God by our side, we can make it through the hardships of life. The end of the story is actually the beginning. God will bless those who seek him with their whole heart. We were created for this blessing, but we lost it. God created human beings to experience this blessing forever, but they didn't keep his law. They broke it. And every one of us since then has been incapable of keeping God's law. So we find ourselves in a world filled with evil, with enemies, with constant temptations to lead us away from God. That should mean that there's no hope. If no one can keep God's law, then no one can have his blessing. We should all be under God's judgment and curse. But my friends... There was one who did keep God's law. There was one whose way was blameless, who walked in the law of the Lord, who did no wrong, who walked in God's ways. And instead of asking God to spare him from scorn and contempt, Jesus Christ went willingly to the cross to die. God is perfectly just. His justice requires perfect obedience if we are to enjoy his presence. But instead of enjoying God's perfect blessing for himself, Jesus traded that blessing for our curse so that we may be blessed by God. The reason that God could deliver the psalmist from death is because Jesus died for him. Not ultimately because of the psalmist's law-keeping for Jesus, but because of Jesus' law-keeping for him. So as we conclude this morning, I want you to consider where you are on this journey that Psalm 119 takes us on. Have you even begun the journey of the Christian life? Do you recognize the need for someone to deliver you from death? Do you see that there's no real morality without God? The psalmist can praise God's moral law all throughout this psalm. Can you truly seek what is true and good and beautiful in this world? You can only do that with God, the one who makes everything true, good, and beautiful. And if you've begun this journey, what is your faith like? Is it the faith that commands God to bless you in exchange for your obedience? Or is it the kind of faith that praises God even when we are small and despised? Are you turning your gaze from yourself to Christ, the one who is more despised than any of us will ever be. You see, friends, the gospel is what saves us, and the gospel is what changes us. We never get beyond the gospel. It's only as we fix our eyes more firmly on Jesus that we start to realize the depths to which we go astray and the depths to which Christ went to find us. He loves you more deeply than you could ever imagine. It's only right for us to fix our eyes on Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this masterful journey that the psalmist guides us on. And he really shows us what the Christian life is like. And I pray for those here who haven't yet begun that journey that You would open their hearts to receive the gospel, this amazing grace that you show us, this deliverance from death, this hope that can make all of the troubles and anguishes and fears of this world seem like nothing compared to the joy of loving you. I pray that you would work in all of our hearts to guide us away from the kind of faith that uses you to get us what we want in this life but rather towards the kind of faith that can withstand under any trouble that we face, that, would all comp- that it would all pale in comparison to the joy of knowing you forever. We thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.